What are the foundational elements of a successful instruction? Can our country thrive with a one-size-fits-all school system? Joining us today on the State of Education with Melvin Adams is Dr. Karen Hiltz, a Navy veteran who formerly worked in federal procurement, has experience in business and school board leadership, and currently serves as one of our board members here at the Noah Webster Educational Foundation. In the first part of this two-part series, Dr. Hilt shares how modern challenges can provide great opportunities to reach students and how forced methods of teaching result in students with lowered engagement and creativity. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Dr. Karen Hiltz. Karen has a BA and an MBA in management and an educational doctorate in leadership studies. She and her husband, Chuck, a retired U.S. Marine Corps veteran, live in Florida. They have three children, four grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. Dr. Hiltz, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And we're glad to have you. So you've got, uh, we've known each other for a number of years and have had the privilege of working together in several different capacities. And now with No Webster Education Foundation, uh, so I'm just going to give you some questions and I'm going to just tap into your experience and your background, your knowledge, and uh, together we're going to see what we can do to, to help equip and inform people and help make improvements in education. So after a career in working with the federal government, you went back to school to get your doctorate and you became involved as a teacher, administrator, school board member, and now an advocate for change in education. What caused you to focus your efforts on education? And what do you see as the foundational purpose for education? Well, let me start with the second question first. Foundationally, education in my opinion and from my perspective, is the foundation of our country, our republic. Uh, if we don't have an educated populace, like our founding fathers were very quick to point out, then who knows where we would be. And so in order to sustain a republic, we need to have an educated population. Now, why did I get into education? When I was working for the feds, one of the reasons why I got my MBA was because I thought, well, after I finish my career in the federal government, I'll teach at the college level. That was always something that had been in my mind as something to do after a career. And so that's what I did. I had an opportunity when we moved to Smith Mountain Lake in Virginia. Uh, we lived in Northern Virginia at the time. Uh, in Fairfax County. And so we moved to the lake and I had an opportunity to teach at a four-year institution down there in, for undergraduate uh, courses. And I was surprised and somewhat stunned and in some cases appalled at how lacking students who were in a business curriculum were prepared from a communication perspective, from a writing perspective, from being able to digest and analyze and think about various situations. Because when you're in a business environment, it doesn't always go smoothly. Yeah. And even if you're on a project or a program and you have a team that you're working with, you still have to be able to make adjustments as you go along because 
a plan doesn't always happen as it's planned out. You know, things don't always go according to plan, I should say. So that's what intrigued me about um, education was that, oh my goodness, you know, we need to really focus on the quality of education in our country. And that's what made me get more involved or what enticed me uh, or propelled me to be more involved in the K-12 environment. Because okay. it's not the college level, you're kind of behind the eight ball when once you hit college, you really need to start at the lower levels. Your work experience and your, your experience out there in the professional world helped you to realize, wow, uh, we've got to do a better job at preparing a workforce. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes, sir. We sure do. <laughs> okay. All right. Very good. So but let's, let's continue. So in, in respect to that, how important are teachers? Uh, let's, I mean, we're talking about uh, here at No Webster, we talk about that, not just from the public perspective, but the private perspective, all perspectives, because it's about all of education. How important are teachers? Well, teachers are probably the most important because they are the implementers. They are the ones who are in the classroom or in the learning environment, I should say, with the students, uh, whether it be one student, 10 students, or 50 students. And so their ability to utilize methods, techniques, and tools to help students or children learn is very critical. And teachers need to remember that they are, they are the link between children learning and children being able to be successful. Because if they're not working with the children, and remember all children are individuals. And that's, I think, one thing that teachers need to be more aware of. We don't need to have just this one one path for all I, you know, I talk about this, you know, one size fits all is, is really just very detrimental to student learning mm -hmm. because we are individuals. We have our own skills, our talents, our interests, things like that. And so teachers need to be more aware in the classroom. They need to allow children to be more creative. Now I understand you want to manage the classroom, but you don't manage it in a manner that stifles children's curiosity and creativity. You want them to be able to express and to be able to think. And as they get, go through the K-12 process, once they get into you know, high school, you want them to be able to discuss and debate and to challenge each other with regards to the different perspectives. And by the time they get into high school, they've got a little bit of life experience. So that brings some element of, of learning into the classroom as well. Let me just a little follow-up question there. So you're talking about the importance of teachers, you know, understanding the individual dynamics of the student and kind of each one has to be dealt with individually. Of course, totally support that, totally agree with that. So let me ask you this. Do you think most teachers understand that? And is it, a, is it a teacher issue or is it a systems issue that tends to force teachers? Uh, I'm asking you to put your teacher hat on in your own experience uh, working with teachers and in that space. Uh, you know, is it a system process that kind of forces teachers to, instead of working with 
students individually kind of, we got to make sure everybody gets to certain points. And so it kind of cuts out a lot of that ability to uh, engage and be creative and stuff. And they, they kind of a forced timeline and a forced management. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I think it, it's actually um, an element from both perspectives. Uh, teachers can be an issue, but the system definitely is an issue because the system over time has become a one size fits all. There was a point in time, uh, probably about, I'll say, you know, a good 40 years ago where we got on this path of every child needs to go to college. Mm -hmm. And so all curriculum was focused more on uh, promoting and uh, propelling children to do that. Well, mm -hmm. not all children are college material. They all don't want to go to college. I didn't want to go to college after high school. I went uh, later on in life. And so therefore, you know, you, you can't, you can't force children to do something and expect them to be successful if they're not passionate about it, if their heart isn't in it, if they don't have the right mindset or attitude or skills or talents. So mm -hmm. there again, it's a failure with regards to the system, but as well as with the teachers. And one of the things I want to interject here is that Teachers, the education curriculum at the um, higher ed level, college level, almost all teaching programs are a minor. They're not a major for graduation, okay? Yeah. So when you, when you identify a program as a minor versus a major at the college level, my interpretation is that you aren't valuing that skill set, I guess, as much as you are a major. And so if we're going to continue to have education departments and education programs at the university level as minors, then you're not really, to me, that's a message that you're not valuing education. I want us to think in terms of being advocates for teachers, because a lot of people out there don't understand the life of a teacher. Uh, the challenges of a teacher. Uh, so let's take a minute and let's try to be advocates for teachers. What are their greatest challenges in today's environment? I would say in the K-12 environment, I would say their greatest challenge is having administrative support for what they do. Um, there again, you're going back to an element of the system, the bureaucracy, mm -hmm. um, because the administration has a different focus and their goals and objectives are not the same necessarily as the teacher in the classroom. And so when teachers are doing what they believe their job to be, and of course, a lot of them think that their job is to comply with the standards of learning, SOLs, testing scores, those kinds of things, because there's such a focus on making sure that, you know, they um, pass and get, you know, good scores. Um, teachers, they, they, they are not necessarily supported uh, by the administration. And I think that's a, that's a real problem because because really, there again, the learning environment, uh, and the, there's a structure to it, and it's a team effort. 
And I don't know that necessarily teachers are supported within that hierarchy um, of the team. So mm -hmm. I would say that's probably one of their biggest challenges. So let's just a quick follow up for that. If there were one thing that most teachers would wish for, what do you think that would be and why? What would they wish for? They would wish to have, I think, a learning environment that allows them the flexibility and the freedom to engage their students so that their students regardless of their ethnicity or race or gender or skills or whatever can be successful. Because I think the majority of teachers are, are very good hearted. They go into teaching because that's what they want to do. They want to do something to help children be successful. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's what they would like to have as a classroom that they can build out and have the tools the methods and techniques that they need to help all of the children in their classroom realize success. All right, now let's talk a little bit about school administrators. Um, and I know that this varies and, you know, we don't want to paint everything with just a broad brush. Uh, but in general, what would you say are the greatest challenges that most local school administrators face? The mandates that come down from the state and federal governments, mm -hmm. uh, because they're not necessarily funded and they're not necessarily supported uh, at the state and federal level either. And so in order to, there again, I go back to implementation is where the rubber meets the road. That's where you realize whether this is going to be helpful helpful or harmful to the student body as a whole. And so administrators are caught between this, they're in this conundrum of, I have to do this, but I don't necessarily see the value or the positive impact that it, that it will have for the student learning environment. And that's what I focus on is the student learning environment, because that's what education is all about, is helping children learn what they need for after they graduate from at least high school. So often, I think administrators, you know, it's administrators are the people who are supposed to make the whole thing work. They are the ones that are uh, given the team and their job is to manage and lead that team toward the ultimate goal of educating the children and the individuals in their communities. Um, you know, most administrators are very well educated, very well equipped. They have great ideals, but I think as you said, they're kind of torn and a lot of people don't understand this, uh, but they are so often torn between the bureaucracies above them that give these mandates, as you st stated, that come, whether it's from the federal government, from the state government, from some 
maybe even a board, uh, these mandates that are given, and they're spending all their time doing paperwork and checking off boxes rather than empowering their teachers and making sure that their teams have all the tools that they need and all the all the resources that they need in order to really thrive uh, and and make sure that every student uh, is growing and is being properly mentored and nurtured, that parents are being engaged, that, that it becomes a community effort uh, to, to make better education. And so, I, yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. So you spent some time uh, on the school board as well. You'll go into that a little bit more. What is the role of the school board? And what, what are their challenges? Well, let me, let me start by saying that, <clears throat> and this is kind of where I get on my high horse a little bit. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, the U.S. Consti- it, it's constitutional, okay? The mm-hmm. U.S. Constitution is silent on education. So therefore, my perspective is we shouldn't even have a U.S. Department of Education. Now, some people disagree with that, and that's fine. Uh, But if you really look at what the U.S. Department of Education does, they're really a database. Uh, We could actually have, an, from again, my opinion, we could have an office of education under the Census Bureau, because that's what the Census Bureau is, collects data. And that's what the U.S. Department of Education does. Now, mind you, they dole out money because they're appropriated money and stuff for grants and things. But but that aside, there is no role for the federal government in education that falls to the states. Now, you look at all 50 state constitutions and you will find an article on education in every one of those. Mm-hmm. And that lays out the boundaries, the, the, the focus, uh, and each state is different. Uh, they don't all, uh, their constitutions, all state, you know, what their objective is from a state level for education. And so there again, you know, you've got the state and then you've got the local. And when you are an elected school board member, and the majority are elected now. There are some states that still um, appoint, but mm-hmm. the majority are elected. Your role is to oversee the school district or school division and ensure that the superintendent, who is the like the CEO of the local school district, that the superintendent and their staff administers the mandates. Uh, adheres to the policy, um, has sufficient programs and methods, tools, and techniques, uh, is, is um, you know, ensuring that children are receiving that, quote, quality education within their district and stuff. So, so there's this misnomer, and, it, and it's not just based on my experience of serving in Virginia, but now that I live in Florida, I am, st- am still involved, and I get down here too, in that the roles have reversed in some respect where school board members tend to subjugate their authority to the superintendent, which is not what should happen. The, I don't think a lot of school board members understand their role as the authority and the ones to set the vision and the goals 
the mm -hmm. overall, the overarching. Now, you know, what the superintendent and their staff do is that they must align with that. And that's where my business background, I think, plays into my perspectives with regards to having served on the school board and stuff, because I believe the school board is the one who should draft and, and, and develop the strategic plan for mm -hmm. the school district, the school division. And then everything that's done by the superintendent and the administration should tie into that strategic plan. And to right. me, that's a missing piece in a lot of school districts. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that school boards actually understand their role and authority. There is state constitution, which state constitution falls down into either state code or state statute, depending on what where you live. And the statute uh, is what gives more, uh, more of a, um, more of a, more detail, I guess, because, you know, legislation only gives some peripheral information where you get down into the statutes and that's where your policy comes from and you get more detail with regards to that. So, so I guess to make a long story short, um, you look at your state constitution, you look at your state code or state statutes, and that's where you will find what the overarching role is with regards to the school board. And it is to manage and, and ensure that quality education is being provided to the children of that district. Okay, thank you. So with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about uh, qualities uh, of a school board member. So, you know, maybe, maybe somebody, and we encourage people to look into uh, serving in that capacity. That's one of the best ways for people to improve education if they have the right gifts, the abilities, and the right motivations. Um, you know, they could help serve and uh, on a board like this. So, what qualities are helpful and essential for school board members? Well, I will say that having knowledge about education should not be a criteria that you should hang your hat on because it's much more than, uh, than knowing about the education system. You can learn the education system. Mm -hmm. I think maybe some qualities that you would like to consider is how well do they communicate? How maybe how well they work as a team? Do they have any team experience? The having, having the fortitude to be consistent, to be prudent, to have the tenacity. When, when, you, when you know that, that things are not right, you need to have the tenacity to keep pursuing and pursuing and pursuing and bringing it up. You really get thick skin by serving on a school board because you have to be a voice. Uh, for those who feel like they have no voice. I say that quite frequently. That's what I pray for is that the Lord will allow me to be a voice for those who feel they have no voice because parents do feel disheartened uh, with regards to the bureaucracy of the system. And uh, obviously when I talk about bureaucracy, I'm talking about the public education system because you don't have the same structure and setup when you deal with private and homeschool. Now, there tends to be in, in a lot of states some uh, legislation or some policy with regards to those two um, opportunities. 
But uh, with regards to public education, you're really dealing with a um, bureaucratic system that has been in existence since the 1860s. So, you know, long time. Yeah, so I think uh, you made, some, uh, made a very good point that to serve on a school board, you don't have to be a specialist in education. Um, you know, you hire people who are specialists in education uh, to do the educating. Uh, but as a board member, you represent the community. Uh, your responsibility is to uh, help run the business and ensure that the, the business of that school system, as well as the policies and processes, uh, and, you know, you, you hire people, you manage budgets, uh, or at least oversee the management of budgets and things of that nature. So some business acumen and just basic people skills, knowledge of your community, uh, you know, vision, leadership, you know, vision for what can be, how do we make things better? Uh, and that's the kind of folk that we need uh, serving on our school boards. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. I, I am... I was not uh, an educator, obviously, by from a career perspective, but I brought a business perspective, a business mindset to the school mm -hmm. board when I was serving. And that's not necessarily uh, welcome, I'll say, because education is of a mindset that it's all about education. And I don't know that they necessarily look at the other elements of being successful from a program or project team. Uh, like when I you know, was in federal procurement, we, I worked on a lot of different uh, programs and we had a logistician, we had a finance person, we had you know, contracting, we had um, technical people, we had analysts. You know, so, so we had a range of uh, experiences. And to me, that's what a school board should have as well. There should be a range of people uh, who have bring something unique, but in in uh, coordination with ensuring that the school division meets the needs of the community of the students in the community. Thanks so much for tuning in with us today. That's what we're all about here at Noah Webster Educational Foundation. We want to make it easier for you to engage with your local government and school system, whether you're a parent, educator, legislator, or simply a concerned citizen. Before we end today's episode, here's a little snippet of our next episode. My idea was, look, I can save this system money for, you know, there are certain things we have and we don't need. We're going to cut, we're going to trim the budget. We're gonna, they're going to be really proud of me. And the administrator, when I submitted my thing, came to me and said, no way. If you don't spend that much money, we'll lose it next year. I said, what are we going to do with it? He, I, I, we don't need this. Stuff. He said, I don't care. We got dumpsters out back. Curious how you can make a difference? Join the conversation today on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Learn about more ways you can help by visiting our website at www.nwef.org. We look forward to you tuning in with us again for The State of Education with Melvin Adams.